0: Welcome to episode 639 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And it's another solo week for me at the risk of HIPAA violations. I guess I'll share that Richard is not able to join us cuz he's just not feeling well this weekend. No one wants to have to do a podcast when you're not feeling well and when your brain is foggy from all of that. And frankly, you probably don't want to necessarily listen to somebody who's not feeling the greatest. So hopefully Richard is able to rest up and feel well soon. But we've still got a good show for you with some listener feedback, some really good stories uh, across both the video and the gaming space this week. If you are watching this on YouTube, then please do us a big favor and click that like button and click the subscribe button, and you'll never have to worry about missing another episode again. All right, so let's start this week with some feedback. Uh, One one email from listener David, he sent this to our inbox at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com, and he says, hello and good day. How is it that Josh is not a Red Wings fan? And <laughs> David is saying this because I've been talking about the Lions, the Detroit Lions, and the University of Michigan Wolverines. I do live very close to Detroit and Ann Arbor. Um, he says, so wh- how is it that he's not a Red Wings fan? He knows that I'm a Penguins fan. Uh, he says, I'm guessing that he grew up during part of the Iserman Federoff era when they were great. He's pro-Michigan in everything else. I- I'll address this one first. The simple answer is yes, he's right, and when I watch baseball, which is almost never like I'll root for the Tigers too, and I guess if I were going to watch basketball, which I'm not, I, I would root for the Pistons, but I'm really just not into basketball at all. So why are the Red Wings the outlier? It's simple. When I fell in love with hockey, two of the first players that I ever heard of were Mario Lemieux and Yair Yager who played for the Penguins, and I fell in love with the team because of what those guys were doing. You know, this was after Mario Lemieux was diagnosed with and then beat non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, coming back and winning the scoring title in the year that he had to take a bunch of time off for cancer treatments. Like, how could I not root for the Penguins after hearing about Mario Lemieux? and then I just stuck with them. So yes, I did grow up in the Iserman Fedorov era uh, to give my age away, I suppose, but that's why I stuck with the Penguins and not the Red Wings. All right, he continues. Has Josh read any Brad Thor books? If not, what is he waiting for? The Scott Harvath series seems like it would be right up his alley. Thanks for reading this, David. David, a uh, real simple answer to this one. I haven't read any of the Brad Thor books because I'd never heard of Brad Thor. And at at, at the risk of making people, I guess, realize that I'm just not that big into books, like maybe Brad Thor is super common. Uh, he could be the Taylor Swift of of novels, and I still don't know who he is. So on David's suggestion, I did look up Brad Thor. He writes a lot of thrillers uh, with espionage and action, and like they do sound like my kind of books. So I have borrowed the audiobook. I don't even remember the name of it. I haven't started it yet, but the, uh, most of his books are available as audiobooks and are available from my library. So I will be checking out some of these Brad Thor books. So David, thank you for the suggestion. And I'll let you know on a future episode what I think of them. (laughs) Okay, so with that, let's jump into our video news for the week. Kind of a big story here that dropped uh, just a little bit earlier this week, and that is that while we've all been waiting for ESPN to announce their own standalone streaming option, and apparently that's still coming, they announced... What's an even bigger deal? And that is that they are going to be joining forces with their competitors, Fox Sports and Warner Brothers Discovery to make one super sports streaming network. So this would be one streaming service, a single standalone service, that would combine ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, the SEC network, the ACC network, ESPN News, ABC, Fox, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, Big Ten Network, TNT, TBS, and True TV, all in one streaming service. And you're thinking, okay, it sounds like a lot of channels. What sports could I actually watch on all of those channels? Well, the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, NASCAR, PGA, tennis, and more. It like it. It's not absolutely everything because, and and it's not even everything from all of those sports. Uh, you know, for example, the NFL. Their games that show, the Thursday night games are on Amazon Prime. NBC has Sunday night football. So like there are some things that would not show up on these services for NHL. Most games you can watch on on. NHL power play as part of ESPN plus, I would imagine you'd get ESPN plus with this, but there are still games that aren't available on, on ESPN plus through that. Some of them are on ESPN. Some of them are on TNT. You would be able to watch all of those. So it doesn't give you everything. It's not exactly the panacea of sports streaming, but it's probably as close as we're ever going to get to that there are for sure things that will still need to be ironed out like there are still blackout restrictions where if a game is being aired on a local provider like maybe you still have a regional sports network in your area then they aren't available to be watched on some of these uh streaming services like this so blackout restrictions would probably still apply in certain situations but Where I could really see this uh, really, really serving people and the fans is during college football season because ESPN has tons of college football games, especially a lot of the big ones, and those show up across all of ESPN's networks. But then this also includes SEC, ACC, and Big Ten. And then Fox sports also has lots of college football. ABC has lots of college. Like it it seems like if you had this, you would be able to watch almost every college football game imaginable. And that's pretty amazing. And for most of the other major sports, you'd be able to watch almost everything. All of that sounds great. What matters next though, is how much is this thing going to cost? And we don't actually know. They are expected to give a lot more details uh, of including cost later this year probably in the fall. But the the speculation here is that it would cost somewhere between 40 and 50 dollars a month. And I'm kind of two minds on this one. So, 40 to 50 dollars a month. If all you care about is sports, well, it's less than YouTube TV. It's less than Hulu with live TV, which would get you access to a lot of these, but not necessarily all of these. At $50 a month, it's more than Sling Orange or Sling Blue, but it's less than Sling Orange and Blue, (laughs) where with Sling, the orange gets you the ESPN family of of networks. Blue gets you the Fox uh, family. So if you wanted both of those, you'd really have to get both. So if you only really care about sports, then it's probably a pretty good deal. The the question, though, is it's still a lot of money, like 50 bucks a month would still make it basically the most expensive streaming service for basically what you might consider one single thing. But I don't think it's correct to look at it that way because the partners certainly aren't. ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers are all planning to basically split this three ways. So it it really is like buying, it, it, instead of thinking of this as one giant singular sports network, it's really best to think of this as like a really small cable package, because that's more similar to what you're getting here. You're also going to be able to, while... You'll be able to buy this as a standalone service, like I've said, for roughly 40 to $50 a month. Because this will be in partnership with all of these providers who have other services, you're also going to be able to bundle these. Disney Plus already has really good bundles. Uh, Hulu does too. Really, the combination of Disney Plus with Hulu and ESPN Plus uh, is, is a great bundle that does save you some money. But also with, with the Warner Brothers Discovery connection in here you will have the option of bundling it with Max. So we don't know what the pricing would look like as a standalone option, at least not officially. And we also don't know what some of these bundles would look like. But this sounds like a killer service for sports fans. This is absolutely something that I would consider signing up for during college football season. And this is especially true if you live like out of market from from your college football team of, of choosing, like maybe you're, maybe you grew up in Indiana, you went to Indiana and you really like watching Indiana football even though they're terrible, but you live in Arizona, like you're not really, you don't really have much options. It's not like it's gonna be on your local ABC affiliate like it might be if you lived in Indiana, but if you signed up for this, now you'd have Big Ten Network and ESPN, like maybe Indiana's playing Michigan and it's on ESPN, you would would most likely be able to watch the sports and the teams that you want to watch if you sign up for this. So I'm really curious to see where this goes. I'll be really curious to see what the pricing looks like. And it looks to be timed, not surprisingly, around the launch of football season. Next up is more of a follow up story. We talked on a recent episode about Plex would soon be offering the ability to purchase movies and TV shows. This is a follow up, but it's not exactly that. This week, Plex announced that you can now rent movies directly from Plex. So it's just movies and it's just rentals, no TV shows, no purchases yet. So why would you want to do this? Well, because you're already in the Plex ecosystem and you want to watch a movie that you don't have access to in your own library and maybe either isn't available as part of the free streaming services built into Plex, or you just don't want to watch ads. So that's the real play here. They want to keep you inside of Plex. And Giving you the ability to rent movies, I think is a really smart choice here. When we talked a few weeks ago about the potential of purchasing movies inside of Plex, we had some reservations because how long is that going to last? How long will those digital rights actually stick around? Will they integrate with things like Movies Anywhere so that you can watch it on other services? None of that really matters that much, though when it comes to rentals. With with a rental, the, the timing around of this is all very standard with the rest of the industry. When you pay for the rental, you have 30 days to watch the movie, and as soon as you start watching it, you have 48 hours to finish watching it. So what about the price? The price is also pretty standard. Most of the rentals start well, I shouldn't say most, but rentals start at three ninety nine for a single movie, and that's going to be common for most of the older movies. But as I poked around the library, there were movies where the rental fee was twenty dollars, twenty one dollars, twenty two dollars, and now those are on like brand new releases. So I and and that also is. Fairly common across the industry too. If you go to YouTube to rent a movie, which did you know you could do that? You can now that Google Play Movies isn't around. You can rent uh, and and purchase movies from YouTube now. That's just one option. Amazon, similar thing. they're you know, don't don't be too shocked that Plex is trying to ask you twenty dollars to rent a movie. They're not the only ones. A lot of these prices are basically determined by. the the movie production studios. Okay, so the pricing is about the same. The licensing model is about the same. What are the differences between renting a movie on Plex versus other services? Well, to me, the biggest one, and the biggest reason why I won't be doing it, the movies are limited to streaming at 1080p with 5.1 audio. That's just not good enough. From YouTube and basically every other player, you can rent these movies in 4K. And a lot of times for the same price. You know, they, they were featuring the Barbie movie, so I, I was I, I checked that out on both Plex and on YouTube. And both of them started at, I believe, $5.99 to rent that movie. But on Plex for your six bucks, you got a 1080p stream. And on YouTube for your six bucks, you get a 4K stream. I'm going to pick the 4K stream every single time. And some of these competitors have higher formats of audio too. 5.1 is fine for most people, but if you're looking for Dolby Atmos, you're going to be really disappointed by what Plex is offering here. So, it's really unfortunate, and and I checked. This isn't just some movies are in 1080p and some are available in 4K. I, I went through their FAQ. It tops out at 1080p. There isn't an option for 4K at all yet. But the convenience is certainly there. If you're already in Plex all of the time, then it is very easy to just go to the movies and rentals section and and rent whatever it is that you're looking for as long as you don't care about the fact that it's only in 1080p. And you can do this from a lot of devices, but not all of them. So for example, I could have rented a movie on my Android phone, but I was not able to rent them on my iPad. And I'm sure that has to do with Apple wanting a cut of that rental fee. I don't know for sure, but that seems like a pretty reasonable guess. The only other reason that this might not work out for you is it's U.S. only. If you don't live in the U.S., you can't do this. So I I would love to hear what you listeners think about this. Is this something you would consider? Does the lack of 1080p bother you? Does Does convenience trump fidelity in this situation? For me, it doesn't. It's easy enough for me to switch over to YouTube or Amazon or Vudu or something else like that and get a 4K stream. But I'm curious about the rest of you. Do you think you would use Plex to rent your movies? All right, time for our last video story of the week. And this one is YouTube TV. So almost a year ago, they rolled out a feature called Multiview. And it it was a feature that allowed a user to watch four college basketball games at the same time. And it rolled out during March Madness. It, it was the perfect time to roll out the multi-view feature because that's what people want for March Madness. They want to watch as many games at the same time as possible. Rolled out smoothly. People loved it. It was great. Then the next question was, when can I watch something else? Later in the year, they added support for NBA League Pass, and you could watch four NBA games at the same time. Here was the problem with both of those scenarios you didn't get to choose which games you were watching. You had to choose from their predefined selections of games to watch. And that's kind of annoying. So they've been expanding multi-view over the last few months, adding more sports, things like that to it. But not until now have you had the ability to build your own multi-view. And that's actually what they're calling it now. Build A multi-view is a feature that is slowly rolling out to users uh, around the world, and it allows you to do exactly what you want. You get to pick the sports events that get divided into the four quadrants on your screen. No extra fees for this. It's just an option. Now, will they, you know, really the big question is, when can we expand this to be anything? Could I have a hockey game on one, a football game on another quadrant, the news on a third quadrant, and a kid's show on the fourth quadrant. Now that sounds terrible, but maybe in some scenario that might make sense. I could certainly see sports plus news or something like that. That might be kind of cool. Maybe you like watching the financial news networks where you're seeing all the stock tickers go around. There's lots of options here. But while we don't have absolutely everything, You're certainly getting a lot more of what you want out of this, at least in terms of watching sports through Multiview. There is one big, really big gaming story this week. At least if you look at the gaming press, it is one really big story in the gaming industry this week. But I'm really having a hard time feeling like this is that big of a deal. So what what is it that I'm talking about? First, let's back up a little bit. For weeks now, there have been rumors that a couple of Xbox-exclusive games, those being Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves, were going to be announced that they would be coming to PlayStation 5 and to Nintendo Switch. Hi-Fi Rush has been out for about a year now. Sea of Thieves has been around for more than five years, I think. And neither of them would be considered like massive AAA console sellers they're console exclusives, but they're not the types of games that are shipping consoles. No one is buying, I shouldn't say no one, but almost no one is going out and buying an Xbox just so they can play Sea of Thieves or Hi-Fi Rush. So people weren't super freaking out about that news. But now the news is getting bigger. This is all snowballing. Now it looks like Microsoft and Xbox may Uh, In in the middle of making it so that Starfield, one of the biggest, if not the biggest game that was released as, as an Xbox console exclusive last year, and the unreleased Indiana Jones game that Machine Games is working on, will go to PS5 this year. And the internet is losing its mind about this. It's, it's really snowballing. So there are a lot of longtime Xbox fanatics who feel betrayed. Like, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic. These are the words that they are using. Xbox has betrayed them. It has betrayed their trust. How could they go back on their word? They told us that Starfield would be a, a, a console exclusive on Xbox. How could they do this to us? I don't, I don't understand that sentiment. On, on the surface, my first response is, if they do this, does it remove Starfield from you? No. Does it make it uh, like you've never played the game? You've completely erased your experience with Starfield? No. Does it allow more people in the world to play the game and have fun conversations with you about their experience with Starfield? Yeah, yeah, it does. That sounds like a good thing. Aren't we always talking about how we hate the idea of console exclusives and how the only people that benefit from console exclusives are the console manufacturers? Yeah, yeah, we are. (laughs) We as the gamers don't win because of console exclusives. There's one argument against that statement, though. And this is the one that that makes me a little bit nervous because if you follow this to its logical conclusion, and, and let's say that it's really just starting with Starfield and Indiana Jones, but Microsoft, again, this is all hypothetical. We don't know what they're going to do yet. They've announced that they're going to make a big announcement next week. Clearly, this got out of, out of hand, out of control and they weren't ready to deal with this. So next week, we'll know for sure what's actually going on. Well, we'll know more about what their strategy is. But let's say that what this indicates is that in the future, all games that look like like all first-party Xbox games will also be available on PlayStation. It, we could even go so far as to say they're all available day one, although I don't think that's the case here. I I. I if if Starfield comes out this fall for PlayStation 5, that means that it was available on Xbox for a year before it came to PlayStation, and one-year timed exclusives are pretty common in this industry. But let's just go to the extremes and say this means that every Xbox game will also be available on PlayStation day one. If that's the case, then is there any reason to own an Xbox? I think that's the bigger question here. And I, I I think the easy answer is, well, kind of not really. Like, if Sony's not going to do the same sort of favor for us gamers, which they for sure wouldn't do, then it would really make a lot more sense to just go buy a PlayStation, get to play all of the PlayStation exclusives, and get to play all of the Xbox exclusives because they're not exclusives anymore. <laughs> and even if all of them are exclusives for a timed window, well, then you still get to play them just later, which seems like, uh, you know, a, a pretty good compromise for only having to buy one $500 gaming console. The big thing to factor into all of this, though, is Xbox Game Pass, because perhaps one of the biggest benefits that you get to playing these games on an Xbox, is that you get to pay, you get to play them as part of your Xbox Game Pass subscription. So for your, what is it, seventeen dollars a month right now? I think is what Game Pass Ultimate cost. You get to play all of these games at no extra cost, and you get to play them on day one. Xbox Game Pass is never coming to PlayStation. There's no way Sony would ever let them do that. I, I, I just don't see a world where that happens. So yeah you might be able to play all of these Xbox games on a PlayStation, but you're going to have to pay for them, whereas you kind of don't have to on, on Xbox. And there are lots of other reasons too that you might still want an Xbox. I personally think the Xbox operating system and the way that Xbox does things across the board from game management and extra abilities, the way that it deals with friends, achievement system, the store, that pretty much all of that is better on Xbox than it is on PlayStation. That's entirely uh, subjective, though. That That's up to you. That's your opinion. I think it's better. You might not. I also think the Xbox controller is significantly better. That could be reason enough to, to get an Xbox over PlayStation, but I'm not sure. The other thing that I think Game Pass uh, brings to this to this conversation is, is Game Pass the reason this is happening? And by that, I mean, is is Starfield going to PlayStation, if that is what actually happens? Is it happening because Xbox didn't see enough revenue from Game Pass subscriptions, from people signing up for Game Pass to play Starfield? Did they just not make enough revenue to offset the development cost? And that the only way that they can offset development cost and truly make profitable games when they are massive AAA games, is to also sell them on competing platforms? Could be. Xbox Game Pass, I still think, is the single best value in all of gaming. But subscriptions are are not increasing at the rate that they used to. In fact, I think they're actually decreasing. Could partly be related to the fact that they recently raised the subscription cost. One could also make the argument that Subscriptions are decreasing because Xbox just hasn't been putting out enough quality AAA exclusives to justify paying for it every month. I'd be willing to have that argument with people. I'm just not as freaked out about this as a lot of people. I I think that, honestly, it feels like the gaming media was like, there's not really that much news going on. We had a PlayStation State of Play last week. It was cool. It was fine, but what else are we going to write about and and make YouTube videos about? Well, if you drum up a bunch of drama over these rumors and that it's the end of the console race, you get a lot of clicks. I don't want to be that cynical. I, I, I do think there is one real serious concern. If we go back to that real extreme possible end scenario, if they decide if Xbox decides we're just going to make everything available on PlayStation also and then everybody stops buying Xboxes then maybe Xbox decides we don't need to make consoles at all anymore and i think the real problem with that then is that there isn't really competition in the Xbox or in the in the game console market anymore and calm down you Nintendo fanboys let's be realistic here Nintendo hasn't made a console That directly competes with PlayStation and Xbox since they hoped that the GameCube would. But even that, not really. You really have to go back to the Nintendo 64, which launched when? 1997? Nintendo's not interested in this part of the gaming console market. So it's really Nintendo doing their own thing, and then you'd have Sony doing their own thing. And if they're both doing their own thing, they can charge you as much as they want they also don't have to really innovate all that much because they don't have competitors competitors drive innovation and competitors keep cost at a more reasonable price typically not always but that's the the main you know general benefit of competition so that that is the thing that would worry me the most if if there's really just no reason when the next console generation runs around for me to get an Xbox I'll be sad a little bit because I think it's a better experience but if i get to play every game i want and only have to buy one $500 console i'm kind of winning because if the if the console wars end and by that i really mean the console exclusive game war ends then really the gamers win as long as Sony continues to innovate and doesn't jump into price gouging. And that's a pretty big if. All right, that is it for our news. So it's time to jump into what's been going on in our entertainment centers. For me, a fair amount of games, in my defense, it's been a couple of weeks since we've put out a show. So the last time we talked, I said that I was interested in PAL World, which was lighting the world, the gaming world on fire. I got sucked into it. I got sucked into it hardcore. There were a couple of nights that I stayed up way too late playing Palworld. It's a pretty well done game. Uh, I, I I still think there are lots of valid arguments about potential IP theft and all of that for sure. But in terms of just a fun survival game with uh, fun crafting mechanics and fun you know combat and collection mechanics. It's pretty good, it holds your hand, it's also customizable. I have zero interest in dealing with hunger mechanics in games. So when I created my world, I turned the hunger settings all the way down. It's not a problem anymore. I get to enjoy the game more the way that I want to play it. So I did play a fair amount of Pal World for that that next week after the, the last episode that we released. But I haven't really played it a ton since then. Part of the reason was a game that I've had on my wish list really since it launched on Xbox finally went on sale for a price that I couldn't refuse, and that game was Sifu. That's spelled S-I-F-U, and it was it was like thirteen dollars or something like that. And I thought, okay, now is the time for me to to take a chance on Sifu uh, because I was. I'm kind of convinced it's not coming to Game Pass at this point, although if it comes to Game Pass next week, you can thank me because it's because I purchased it. So what is Sifu? It is a it is an action game with martial arts, you know, Kung Fu style combat, and it looks really cool. Some of my friends were like, "Uh, are you sure you want to play this? Like, this game looks hard and you don't typically like really hard games. And I don't take offense at that. They're right. I don't generally like really hard games. I find them frustrating, not fun. But this game has a couple of things going for it. It's got an easy mode that's easier. It doesn't make it easy. It's definitely not easy, but it makes it easier. It also is really built around this mechanic of training. And that's really important to me. Like, it seems so dumb, but I don't play these games every single night, so like I'll forget the moves and if there's not really a training mode, then your only real way of practicing these things is in the actual game where the the consequences are a lot higher. But basically in between every level, you can practice against the same characters that you just fought against. So, I think that's really great a, a really great mechanic for me. And I definitely intend to play more and more of Sifu because, man, when you're doing well, this game makes you feel like a total badass. If you like kung fu movies and you've ever wanted to be a kung fu fighter in a kung fu movie, then Sifu is the game that will give you that experience. It's really fun. It's really fun. It's got some really interesting mechanics. I think it's still on sale for a few more days, too. So might be worth checking out. It is for sale on Xbox right now. I checked it's not for sale on PlayStation right now. The guys that I regularly play with, uh, we were looking again for something to play and so we got together and played more of Diablo. I think we've basically finished up the seasonal content at this point, at least in terms of the story content for Diablo. So I don't know if we'll play much more of the season, but again, Diablo is is fun. Definitely played some Forza, definitely played some NHL. I think I might have found, finally, a Forza league that works for me. A league that is running cars that I'm interested in driving and holds their races on days and times that work for me. Uh, this this league that I found through Reddit, their, their races are Tuesdays nights or Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, Tuesdays don't work. That's regularly when I podcast. But Thursday nights, that works. 8.30 p.m. is like the time that I typically start playing games on the nights that I play. So if that sounds interesting to you, hit me up. All of my contact information I'm going to share in just a minute, and I I will tell you all about that league that I found, and maybe we can race together. Also, in terms of watching things, I did watch a movie recently. We checked out Dumb Money. It was on Netflix. This is the movie about the game stock, game stop, stock situation that happened during 2020. It's a, a fun bio is is biofiction the right word? It's probably not, but you know, it's it's a reinterpretation, a retelling of what actually happened in 2020 when some retail investors decided that they were going to go against the hedge funds and caused the GameStop stock to rise dramatically. And it was a really, it's an interesting story. And the movie does a pretty good job of making it pretty entertaining. Is it the greatest movie ever? No, but it's entertaining and it's available on Netflix. So it's not like you have to go and rent it in 1080p from Plex or anything like that. Also continuing to watch The Expanse, That's on Amazon Prime Video. And they started with uh, inserting ads into Amazon Prime Video in the last couple of weeks. And I was really curious to see what that experience would be like. It's not that bad. It's actually probably better than any of the other ad supported services out there. Episodes of The Expanse are, you know, between 40 minutes and an hour. And I don't think I ever had more than two. 30-second ad breaks. And a lot of times, it was it's only been one ad, and it was a pre-roll ad, meaning it happened before the show even started. So it didn't even interrupt the show. The ad-free experience on Amazon Prime Video will cost you $2.99 a month. At this point, I don't see the point in paying for it. I can deal with 30 to 60 seconds worth of ads per episode of TV. And Some of the other experiences that I was reading online made it sound like there are no ads in movies, so that seems like a pretty good experience to me for an ad-supported service, so I'm not giving Amazon any extra money yet for my Prime video. All right, well, that's it for what's been going on in my entertainment center. If you'd like to get a hold of us, there are a lot of ways you can do that. I'm on Twitter and Mastodon at Josh Pollard. The website is also on Twitter at DigiMediaZone. Richard is only on Mastodon. He's Richard Gunther over there. We also typically do the show live. It's a little bit less fun to do it by myself. Uh, So I didn't do that this week. But when we do, that show is typically on Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. If you're following us on social, we'll let you know when that is going to happen. Also, once you're watching us, we're on Twitch and you can subscribe to us there. And then Twitch will just automatically notify you as soon as we go live also. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. And if you're still watching it, then hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a future episode and ring the bell to really make sure that you don't miss a future episode. But that's going to do it for episode 639. I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.